It's Tuesday, September 15th, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. On today's episode, the multi-talented Jackie Brown stops by Lemon Press Studio for an intimate chat and a live acoustic performance. That and so much more starts nickety-niggity now. Attack. Welcome back. You're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast. Oh, back in town. And as per usual, coming at you from Lemon Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Toronto. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. How you doing? You having a good start to the week? I had a great weekend. By the way, Ottawa, thank you for coming out to the Ottawa Little Theater for My Jokes Are Up Here. I was hosting a great show with Jen Grant, Erica Sigurdsson, Rebecca Cole, and Christina Walkinshaw. Some of the best comedians this country's produced, I've mentioned before, and they just so happen to be women, so hence the My Jokes Are Up Here. Get it? You get it. And Sunday night in Wakefield, Quebec. Oh, man. If you're in Wakefield listening to this and you were at the show, thank you. That was insane. Hot crowd. Hot, hot, hot crowd. And back here in studio, back here, just doing the thing in Toronto. I want to remind you, if you like the podcast, please share it, rate it, subscribe to it. Let's get it out there. Let's, let's get a good push on, all right? Is that too much to ask? I don't know. Is it? I don't think so. Waste of time. Okay. I was thinking, I want to get better at giving souvenirs. I think that'd be a good trait to have, and I don't think it's a very strong male trait. Women are great at this. I'll give you an example. I went to Vegas recently, and all of my friends got New York City souvenirs that was my version of of like because you know you want to bring something back to a couple friends a little a little something it doesn't have to be much maybe a lighter maybe a some sort of magnet any sort of memento right you want to show that you're thinking of them i i also my friends never do that i i bring back things and i never get things in return that's not true but a couple times because women have this ability when they get to a place, they automatically get into souvenir mode. And I can't even get into that. I can't start thinking of leaving until I'm gone. But they get there, they're like, oh, 
I want to start looking for... I got to go out and shop for so-and-so. I got to get a couple things for whoever. And that's just a mindset. I'm like, I just got here. I can't start thinking of leaving. That's just too depressing for me. Maybe... Maybe I'm ahead of the... T- Maybe I'm so zen and in the moment. That's why I buy shitty souvenirs. Anyway, so I went to Vegas, and that's how shitty my souvenirs were. I bought all of my friends New York City memorabilia. Lighters, magnets, bottle openers. Because I had a connection in Newark, New Jersey. I wasn't even in New York. My connection was in Newark, which is in a different state. It's close. You can see it from there, but... And so it was like a third, third degree souvenir. I didn't even get out of the airport. So I'm a shitty souvenir person. So I think that's uh, a thing I'm going to improve upon. All right. Um, more scamming the scammers phone calls coming up, working on those every day. And the thing is, I make a lot of them. And some of them aren't very entertaining. Some are. So I'm just sifting through the files and files. So look uh, Friday's episode for... Uh, more scamming the scammers phone calls and such. Also, I'll read some emails on Friday. So email the show, pod, at jdcomedyhour.com and uh, drop me a line. I'll read it on the podcast. Okay, let's get right to my guest today. This was a fun interview that I like doing. Like I mentioned on the pod a couple times, last Friday I shot this thing north of the city in Midland, Midland, Ontario. I met this actress and I was talking to her at craft services and just so happened to, I got the Coles notes of her story and it was quite fascinating. Turns out she's a very accomplished and well-traveled musician. She's been all over and she's been in the game for a while. So I thought, hey, come to the studio next week and we'll uh, throw down your story. We'll introduce you to the fine listeners of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. So she came in and she, we get into her story. We go deep chronologically. We go through the career and where she's been and what she's done. And we cap off the episode with a Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast exclusive performance of a new song entitled Spain that she throws down here in Lemon Press Studios. And, uh, and man, what a great listen. So I'm just going to get into it uh, right away, and again, tune back in on Friday for more segments and such much more fun. All right, that's it. That's all. Enjoy now my chat with the one, the only, the lovely Jackie Brown. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song. Take a shower, Julian Dion, comedy
right, and that, of course, is my guest uh, that you just heard there today. I'm very excited to uh, interview interview her. It's a little hot in the cans, yeah? All right, just adjust that. Yeah, was that, that better? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I recently met her. We worked together on a project, uh, acting project. Uh, she's an accomplished and well-traveled musician and actress. And uh, here we go. Let's just get into it. Let me tell you a bit about her. She spent uh, a lot of her career in Los Angeles. Are you originally from Montreal? No, actually, believe it or not, I was raised in the Northwest Territories. Northwest Territories. Yeah, so I've, no I've traveled quite a bit since... Um, and then you did live in Montreal. I lived in Montreal in my late teens, early 20s. I hitchhiked across Canada, I ended up in there, and that's where I actually started in my first garage bands. And then um, and then I left for 30 ans. I don't want to hate say it, but uh, damn near three decades. And then I went back. In well, uh, in 2012. We'll get into all of that. <laughs> uh, you can get her uh, debut album, which has been out for... Since 2013. Since 2013. JB and JB Presents, produced by John Burton of Doug and the Slugs. You can also get her EP right on time, uh, both those things on iTunes, or her website, JackieBrownMusic.ca, for the spelling of Jackie Brown, while you see it on the title of this episode. Um... All right, let's get into it. I'm excited to interview you because we worked together, like I said, last week. And uh, I got kind of the Coles notes of your story, and I I just loved it. So I thought that would make for a great episode, and here we are hey. in Lemon Press Studios. Jackie Brown sits here. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, let's get into let's get to know Jackie Brown a little bit. So you said you were you grew up or were born in the Northwest Territories. Born in Ottawa, raised in the Northwest Born Territory. Born in Ottawa, raised in the Northwest Territories. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You've seen it all. You've yeah, been all over a this place. Bit, yeah. And uh, when, when did you get the music bug? Like, did you start? Would, are you, do you come from a musical musical family? Well, uh, there was musicians in it, but believe it or not, where I grew up, there was basically no radio or television other than CBC at, on the news at 6 o'clock. Um, I always knew I would do it. Um, I don't know how many of you understand the concept of creative visualization, but as a little girl, I could see myself singing in front of like hundreds of people. Is that right? And I don't, you know, I don't, can't explain that or anything. And, um, yeah, so it was the classic, I had to vacuum, you know, the living room on Saturdays and there would be nobody around. So I'd put on the record player and bring out the mirror from my mom's bedroom and jump around in front of it and and basically mimic to um, uh, Donny Osmond Puppy Love. Nice. <laughs> and uh, and um, yeah, and just you know, and then eventually I just thought that I was singing them, and then you know, uh, Dreamboat Annie and came across uh, you know our our record player, and so it was really just mimicking and thinking that I might be able to sing, but I could see myself doing it, and it really just started that way. And That's the classic age story, right? Yeah, just it's nothing original the there. Nothing original there. And I sure. got to imagine, I mean, I could be wrong on this, but growing up in the Northwest Territories, that doesn't sound like the most artistically supportive environment to kind of, you know, pursue those kind of things. First of all, why were you there? Was it your parents? Yeah, there was a big... Work up there? Yeah, there was a big exodus sort of in the in the 70s and whatnot of, of people coming from Ontario and going northwest to work in the mining communities. And my grandparents and my mom was, a, you know, I was the first child. So she went up there and that's, we just end up staying and, you know, being raised. My father, um, my stepdad 
I guess we're getting super personal, is from there. So I was raised, you know, up there. And it was a great place to grow up as a kid because, you know, initially to your question, um, there may have not have been a huge artistic community, but we're, I'm a total outdoors person, mountain kind of person, and that was cultivated hugely. So we had skidoos, we had horses that were shipped up there, every stray dog in town, the door house, cottage, all that stuff. So, you know, they just bundle us up and, you know, 99, 99.9% of the time we were outside playing and using our imaginations. We weren't sitting in front of TVs for sure. So I think that cultivates a creative mind. Absolutely. Filling the well. Yeah. And I was allowed to be pretty wild until I was about 13, 14. <laughs> they yeah. decided to put the kibosh on that. Too late. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd already figured out, you know, stuff on my own, obviously. But uh, no, I... I um, I had a lot of time to think as a kid. I'm very much a solitude-seeking individual other than gigging. So I need a lot of space and a lot of time to think. And uh, for better or for worse, that's I think that really helped with uh, the creativity and being able to, like I said, visualize and think out of the box, And if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, absolutely does. And they always say to you, you know, as a creative person, you have to obviously inundate yourself with in what you do, but also to fill the well. And I think there's no better way to do it than in nature. And yeah. if you get that connection to nature, that's the best way to get the creative juices flowing, in my personal experience, yeah, anyway. Absolutely. Um, so when did you make that transition from, from vacuum cleaning singer to, I'm going to make this a thing, I'm going to go go and do it? What, did you pick up a guitar? Was that your first instrument? What, what kind of... No, I'm actually a very new guitar player, but... Um, as I mentioned earlier, I found myself, you know, tripping out with some Quebecois hitchhiking across the country when you could still do that and hopefully not be abducted. Um, and, you know, just everybody was sitting around the campfire and those kinds of things singing. And I just started to sort of reach out at that point and, you know, jump in. Um, and of course was encouraged, oh, you know, you sound pretty good. And so I started off in like the La Brasserie, uh, the taverns in Montreal with the, you know, singing House of the Rising Sun. And then I made my way back to Alberta and uh, decided that I didn't want to work in an office or a waitress. And I just actively started looking for a band um, that would hire me. It took me about six months because I was green and I finally found a a band that did hire me and I was literally on the road, you know, within two days. And I truly, when I say I was there for 18 and a half years, I'm not kidding. Wow. Yeah. And, and what, how do you find a band pre like internet, let's say? Um, yeah, I, I, I used to get that, asked that question by a young vocalist wanting to get started. And it was like, you know, you go where they hire bands, right? You go where they hire singers, just like if you want to, job you know as an engineer you go where they hire engineers so it was really the same process and I just uh, was reasonably intelligent enough to look for an agency and BS'd my way in there basically because they really did think I had a lot more experience when they hooked me up with these particular guys um, and that ended up being in Calgary um, yeah so I just walked into an agency that was booking bands the one thing about that time is you know, I was probably at the tail end of it, but six, seven nights a week, eight nights a week, you could play in a bar. And there were those kinds of gigs. So, and every, you know, armpit community in Canada <laughs> had a band in it, or maybe two or three. 
and specifically in Western Canada and even here, even here in Ontario, you know, that was a big, that was a big time. So if you had any kind of ability to do it, you were on the road six, like I said, six, seven nights a week. And we weren't just singing, you know, a set of original material. We were covering everything from, you know, Metallica or, you know, Dio to Aretha Franklin, you know, 50, 45 songs a night. So you really learn fast whether you had the chops or the, the fortitude to, to do it. And I was just like, you know, a fish in water. It was really easy. So you kind of just dove yeah. right in there. Yeah, it was what, what I was most suited for, fronting a rock band. It was awesome. Tell me about that first rehearsal. So you, you kind of, quote, like BS your way by beefing up your resume and your experience, and you get lined up with a band. Tell me about that first rehearsal. Were you, like, freaking out? Were you nervous? Did you think... Because a, a thing with artists that often happen, I find myself thinking this is, oh, anytime they're going to know I'm a sham. Like, it's just, it's all going to get pulled down. And, and after every performance, I think... Well, I fooled them again. Um, so did you have any of that going in or you just knew this is what I've, I'm meant to do? I feel right at home. So let's talk about that first. Did you rehearse? Obviously, you rehearsed with the band first. Were you nervous? Yeah, what well, were you thinking? I auditioned for the band. And what it was is, um, again, I was brought in by this agent to see a band, which was a good band. They were, you know, whatever you call a circuit bands at that time. So these musicians were really accomplished. I mean, they were only in their mid-20s, but they were already, you know, had been doing it for quite a few years. And um, there were a lot of singers, there were a few other singers that were in before me, and I could hear them because we were rehearsing in this house. And I thought, oh my God, you know, because they were really good (laughs) and uh, older and clearly more experienced than I was. But I was willing to give it a shot. And um, I didn't really know any tunes to be honest with you, because it was just, you know, like I said, House of the Rising Sun and all these like old standards. And, um, but I went in and I kind of opened my mouth and they looked at me and they decided to bring another singer in, but they said, okay, we want you to go upstairs and listen to this song and learn it. So I actually went back upstairs, put um, these little headphones on, on a little cassette and it was um, "Hit Me with Your Best Shot" and "Heartbreaker" by Pat Benatar, and they wow, said that's you a tall order. Yeah, and they said you go up there and learn those songs. And so I actually went upstairs while they were rehearsing or auditioning other singers. So I went upstairs, and at that point, you know, I mean, I really knew zero about music except that I could again mimic what I'd heard. And so it was just stop the tape, stop, 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 you know, until the lyrics were written down and more or less figured out the arrangement and I guess that went on for like an hour I was up there on my own and then I came down and I was the last person they auditioned and um I went in and did it and they just kind of stopped and looked at me and smiled and said thanks very much and you know thanks and so of course there were no cell phones so I went home my mom picked me up and I went home and she said how'd it go and I said well I don't know you know I don't know and uh I guess it was the guitar player's brother who had been listening and said, well, she's not very good looking and she's kind of chubby, but I think she's going to be a really great singer. And uh, they called me that night and said, you got the gig. And uh, this is a pretty exciting, actually, story. And those guys basically took me on the road two days later and we drove through a major storm to Estevan, Saskatchewan. They... they um, Oh, actually, no, I, I ended up going to Strathmore 
And so I had to learn 25 songs in basically a day and a half. And again, you know, cassette, on, off, on, off kind of thing. Had all these lyrics and sheets all over the stage. The agent shows up, totally apologizes to these guys and says, oh my God, I had no idea she was just so green and just like, I'll get somebody else in here right away. And they said, no, we're going to keep her. We're going to take her on the road. And that's what they did. Then we went to Estevan, Saskatchewan. I don't even think we came off the road for, I don't know, like 10 weeks after that. But we were playing six, seven nights a week and we'd rehearse during the day and, you know, learn the, the songs acoustically in the room. And everything I do to this day when I get on stage, I'm going to start crying when I think about it. Um, and this is a little while later. Uh, I still think about those guys because there was, you know, it's just, you know, positive attitude, where to put that microphone, you know, never be negative, like I said, on the, on the mic. And um just, you know, whatever you do, don't stop, you know, and I'm pretty good at, like I said, winging it. I figured that out right away, and they just, uh, they stuck with me. I, I, I played with that band for like three years, so. That's amazing, yeah. yeah I mean, you do I was really fortunate. a lot to those guys. Absolutely, too. I do. Because so many people could have just been like, yeah, please do find us someone else and, and not have the patience to sit through yeah. that learning curve, yeah. but I mean, that's, that's amazing to have that. And uh, so you're on the road a little bit, and are you thinking at any point, oh my God, I'm doing this? Like, are you, or is it just kind of an organic thing that progressed, and it was just became normal? Um, both, and um, every once in a while, when I would, you know, go in somewhere, and uh, you know, you're all over the country, and the, you know, the best part was I love traveling, so. You're on the road and out of t- you know you come in you rock it you know and then you're gone to the next town the next week on Sunday and crawling in the van all you know hungover sometimes <laughs> and because I was only allowed to do that on Saturday, um, and you just walk in and they you know somewhere new and they knew that you were going to be you know you were kind of little stars right you come into the new town and they knew that you were going to be the new band for that week and. It was, you know, I might have not been in London or Milan, but it was, you know, whatever. It was still these, it was, it was pretty cool. So every once in a while it would just like, oh yeah, this is what I do for a living. And it was, it was pretty, it was great. Yeah. And how's your mom and all that? Was she pretty supportive? Yeah, they, they certainly were. They were always, you know, at the front end of the shows. And of course I played in every dive in everywhere. And, uh, you know, there's my mom and my mother's so glamorous and, and her girlfriends would be showing up in Calgary, and I'm at the biggest, you know, dive bar in Calgary at the time, and they're just right up there, like, you know, it was like the, you know, Massey Hall, man. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in that, so in that string of 10 weeks, I mean, you were just thrown right in, just yeah. sink or swim. So, and in that first 10 weeks of the road, uh, were there any nights where you you maybe had bad nights where you, it made you question everything like, oh my God, maybe I am too green for this. Are, are there any shows that stand out in your brain as like, oh shit, those were, that, that was a tough one? Well, that's a good question because I don't know if they do that anymore, but one of the best things that these guys could have ever done for me is they taped every night. So the board tapes are horrible. If you're a musician out there, you know that, you know, they're dry, they're mono, um, every flat, sharp, every awful thing that you would ever do, it shows because you might think that you're fabulous as people are hammered and jarring around and thinking that you're, you know, a god, but in actuality, you suck. So I, uh, Colin used to make me go up to my room. I wasn't allowed to party. I had to go. These guys were like brothers, big brothers. How old were you at that point? Um, basically my late teens, early Mm -hmm. twenties. And they, 
they said that I was truly, and I don't understand that the youngest that they'd ever, I just seemed a lot smaller and younger to them, but they were very protective. And um, so I used to have to go back up to my room. I was allowed to, you know, get into the audience and I could never wait to just dive in and, you know, chit chat with people. But they, I was allowed to do that, have a beer, and then I had to head up to my room. And, uh, and that's the first thing I had to do was listen to these freaking awful board tapes. So Colin came in one night and he's, I was crying my head off. I don't know, it was in Castlegar somewhere. And I was listening to these, just thinking how awful I was. And those people must be deaf and like, I'll never do this. I'm just the worst thing I've ever heard. And, um, and he just said, well, let me tell you something. And he said, and he used to call me Little Star. He said, tell you what, Little Star, it sounds horrible. And you're right, he said, but it's not as bad as you think. And you just keep listening to those. Again, I don't know why I'm becoming so emotional. I don't get to share these stories very often. And um, he just said, you just keep at it. And the best thing that they could have ever done was do those board tapes because it really just helped my pitch and all those things excel immediately. And now, of course, I live for those things, right? And I'm now I record and I'm in the studio and... Um, I don't know about other singers, but for the long, for years, I couldn't stand the sound of my voice. I just really had a hard time even being objective about it. Um, and it, it really is just <laughs> quite recently that I can do that. And, but th that was one of the best things that those guys ever did. So, you know, being thrown into it, um, and, you know, there were times, of course, where your voice is completely trashed and broken down because, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a very physical thing to sing, again, 45 minimum singers, uh, different singers a night, not just, you know, when you're singing original material, you go into the highs and the lows and all that stuff on your own. And I don't know if a lot of um, artists now actually get the opportunity to be able to um, it used to be kind of a dirty word to be a cover singer, but it really teaches you um, how to use your voice and how to control it because you're, um, you know, you naturally go into your highs or your lows in your own way. But when you're having to do that, when you're singing another vocalist and really emulating the sound and the tone that they're doing, you're having to maybe move your voice in an un unnatural, I don't know if this makes any sense at all, into a place that you normally wouldn't do that. So I learned that the air is traveling, through, my whole body is a tuning fork and my every part of me is part of the sound. So um, learning to do that without sounding boring was the best thing for me. And now as an original artist, because nothing bugs me more than listening to a record and hearing the same freaking tone and the same voice and basically right. the same bloody song, you know, for 10 tracks. That's what happens, you know. Um, I might be a little bit critical on that, but that's how I hear it, right? So for me, when I'm listening back, I am really specific about you're not listening to the same vocal tone, the same notes, the same licks and all that stuff for 10 tracks. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Does. So all, all those, you know, all those years of all that really definitely um, for me personally were... You know, and now I'm getting into producing. So I, I, these are things that I can pass on yeah, to yeah, young vocalists, right. you know. 
And so early on, other than doing it yourself and and listening to the board uh, recordings, were you encouraged or did you ever take any formal training or anything like that? No. No, just do it on the road. That's yeah. the way to do it. Just yeah. pay your dues, yeah. hash it out. I took training, vocal training, um, after I'd been at it for about eight years. I went in and, you know, and every once in a while I'd check up on things, you know, to just make sure that um, because I... I actually sing correctly, but in theory, I don't speak correctly. Okay, so this is crazy. I have always had this, uh, you know, little kind of rough voice, even as a kid. And so in theory, I don't speak correctly. I should actually be speaking up here. How annoying am I, right? Like, I should be speaking where I'm singing. (laughs) So... This is kind of like, this is actually where my voice should be. So most people think that they're going to hear Kim Carnes when they listen to me sing. And this is a thing, I guess, apparently with vocalists, they are lazy. They're lazy speakers. So they tend to get down in here, right? And you just are lazy with that cool, you know, rough voice, right? But in theory, I have to practice to do it this way. So I'm being a bad girl today. (laughs) Just let loose, go yeah. down, get down. <laughs> and uh, so how many years were you with the, the group of uh, original guys that took you under their wing? What I, was the name of that group, by the way? We were called Body Talk. Body Talk with Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've never even heard of them, and that's terrible, right? No, that was uh, Storm and Norman on guitar and uh, Colin Lambert on um, bass, and we always had the exploding drummer from Smile Tap, so... I can't even remember all the drummers that we went through. Uh, I did learn, though, in that first band that if you can't, if the drum band doesn't have a great drummer, I'm not even going to listen to them. So um, I don't care how good anybody else is. Um, and I usually actually start my, usually start my bands with the rhythm section. Now I everybody else is, a, you know, a bonus after that. But mm-hmm. the rhythm section has to be the best. And then I build from there. But um uh, I guess like, maybe not quite three years. Yeah, not quite three years. But again, those were like solid, you know, 52 weeks of the year, right? And what was the reason for that For that ending? Uh, I was getting cocky and smarter. and Wanted to do your own thing. I wanted to do my own thing. And I was just feeling that, you know, it was time for me to grow and learn. And uh, yeah, and I started meeting other musicians, great musicians along the way, and I wanted to leave, you know, I kind of wanted to maybe move um, from Calgary. We were based out of Calgary. I could see myself going to Vancouver, and sort of I was starting to kind of feel that. So, uh, you know, there was a couple just little things. You know, I mean, like all relationships, they start to deteriorate after a while, and um, I'm a pretty restless character. Mm-hmm. So... And what was your next move? Did you end up going to Vancouver? Did you? I actually ended up uh, with a band in the States, kind of another cover band that was, uh, agents found out that I was on the loose, so to speak, and uh, phoned me up and uh, said that they had this cover band that was looking for another female vocalist, and that was going to be touring through sort of the, you know, Wyoming and Montana and stuff, so I thought that'd be kind of cool in Washington. I'd never done that. So that was just sort of an interim thing. And so I traveled with them for about four months and I got to see, you know, a lot of cool places there, more armpit communities <laughs> in that part of the world. And then I ended up uh, hooking up with some guys in um, from Winnipeg that were in Edmonton. And from then we ended up in, we were uh, 
called up by Sam Feldman while I was annihilating all his A rooms with my B room band. Um, they called me up and said, um, you know, we'd like to represent you. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I went, worked my way to Vancouver, and then I ended up in Vancouver. And were it those same guys, or were you doing the, your own Yeah, the guys there? from Edmonton, yeah, right. from Edmonton and Winnipeg. So I ended up there and uh, ran around, you know, Vancouver with them for about another maybe year and a half, two years, and then I started my own band. So again, and then I just thought, ah, I can do this myself. So I just, and I knew kind of what kind of players, and um, yeah, I just wanted to do my own thing. So I started running my own bands from then on. And well, yeah, and that. I mean, at that point, you had so much experience and road experience, which is invaluable and, mm -hmm. and the way to learn. And the agencies were working with me, so it was yeah. good. Yeah. Jackie Brown in the making. Mm. And so what was your first band that was your creation well, everybody always wanted to call me Jackie Brown, and I was always adamant I didn't want to be the singer of a band. I was always really into a sound, you know, where the guitar player was, and everybody was important, and, and that created the sound. So I never really wanted to be separated as a vocalist. It used to really bug me when that happened. Um, eventually, there was just no way around it, you know, because those dream kid bands that come up are like, they don't really happen that often you know, and that wasn't going to be what was going on with me. So it was called Long Tall Sally after a song, Long Tall Sally. So, And you're writing originals at this point? Yeah. No, no. I wanted to get more into that, but no, that then I'd started moving more into the R&B and the rock and blues and okay. those kinds of things. And, and, uh, just widening your range. Yeah. And, and those were like, just like the wicked musicians too, that were doing that. And the other thing too, is I was really automatically or at that point becoming a real stylist uh, more into freestyle and I started to get into the rock and then the blues and the R&B because you could just go off and those were the kind of players so I started you know hanging around the Yale and those kinds of rooms and you know I was living in the same neighborhood a lot of the guys from Col that played with Colin James and Long John Baldry or and who are still friends and those were the kinds of musicians that I was starting to, you know, hang around with and party with and sort of be exposed to. And that's really where I was like, yeah, those are the guys that, you know, because they could, they were just freestyle. So, you know, we weren't stuck in like, if I just turned around, went, I want to do it reggae style and hold the bridge three times longer. And they go, okay. You know, so they were, they allowed me to just right. wank. Right. And, um, vocally, I like to do that and I found that I had a knack for that so um, eventually you know I started getting my own gigs and being able to call these guys up for the gigs and they were like on board so that's great yeah. well, and when did you get into the original songwriting and so on um, well uh, thank you again for asking that question I basically had gotten to the point uh, I got in a production deal and uh, was recording in in uh, Vancouver and working with a producer um, I didn't play an instrument at the time, you know, he'd play licks or whatever, and I was just baking, basically writing lyrics and making up melody lines, um, so that's where I got my first real studio experience. Um, I got a heck of a story about that, but anyway. Uh, Let's get into it. <laughs> so I got ended up getting a production deal in Vancouver and I'd been looking around for original bands and auditioning for original bands but nobody wanted to touch me because like well you're a cover singer you can't sing original so you know people are kind of snotty about that I'll just say it so they figured that there's no way that I could ever 
jump out of that. And um, which was kind of heartbreaking because I really wanted to do that. And so I wasn't having a lot of success with that. But anyway, I was playing a club gig one night and I was approached by by these this production company and they said, you know, we'd like to get you in the studio. So um, so I started going in and working with this producer and, um, and that was my first real experience at it, which was, you know, a, a big learning curve for me. Um, and at the time, I won't mention any names, but at the time there was, when people still did that, um, more, there was production deal and there were talk of record deals going around, um, by a certain label. I don't, I think they're defunct now. Quickly, before you continue, okay. what's the difference between a production deal, deal and a uh, record deal? Well, production's really just development. They're okay. just kind of figuring out like whether you got anything that they want. You got know, it. so they got some free studio time and, you know, they've got maybe a connection with a label or a bigger producer and they're going to bring in an artist and see if she's got anything going right, on. Right, so and, they'll throw down some tracks, but nothing necessarily will be published or... Yeah. Right. Yeah, so just to see if there's anything there. So, you know, the vocal talent was there, obviously, and then the, you know, definitely performer. I'm a strong live performer, I can say that a lot. And uh, so anyway, so there was a, a record deal floating around. There was a couple other artists, including me, that were were being bounced around at the time and they indeed got deals and I didn't but the bottom line is I wasn't ready they had a shtick I didn't have a shtick and I didn't really write my own material um and I just wasn't self-sufficient you know it's fair enough right so the timing just wasn't right for that but I started to really you know just knew that I wanted to do that at that point I ended up with probably some of the best musicians this country has to offer and I had the most amazing band going on and of course, but again, we were a cover band, you know, I was packing the clubs and all the time and, you know, like seriously packing them. And, um, what was the name of that band? Uh, that was just Jackie Brown, but Jackie I was, Brown. but I was playing, you know, the Yale and all the major big rock rooms and, and clubs. And I had some of the, a couple of the top musicians that are, are well known in the industry and, uh, and one of the best guitar players around in, in genre for sure. And just a hell of a musician in general, a great guy. Um, but they were scooped off back to Ontario by another female recording artist. So obviously they had to leave my hot cover band. And I thought, I'm not going to have the best band in the country right now, right now. And I re that's when I said I put my foot down and said I am not doing covers anymore. And I actually pulled a 180 and it went ended up in L.A., so I went for a four-week vacation in L.A. and stayed, a, you know, damn near a decade. Well, let's get it, let's get into the L.A. Uh, story. But before, you said uh, you didn't get that deal. Someone else did. And in retrospect, you know, you weren't, you, you weren't ready at the time. But there's always this thing with artists where you always think you're ready before you actually are. And there's a saying in show business where you can, do, you can definitely do something too soon and kind of fuck yourself, but you can never be too late for something, you know, because then you'll just be more ready. But at that time, where were you uh, in your head? Did you think you were ready? Did you think you deserved it? And when you didn't get it, were you, did, did you feel any uh, cynicism or bitterness towards the, the people that did get those deals? You know, the one thing that I'm not is bitter. I've never been better. I'm a bit cynical. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm well, I, I don't even know if cynical as opposed to, uh, you know, I'm a realist. I've always been that. Right. And I've always felt that I was meant to be a mature artist when my time would come. I don't know why I knew that, 
what I did. I was never really hell bent on looking for a deal and make or break me. I believe that uh, absolutely in that, you know, that you can do it too soon. Um, I'm kind of a sweetheart too, but I'm also not very malleable. And I was told that early. So I wasn't going to be the girl that would go the extra mile, whatever that was going to be. And um, I think the powers that be at the time could definitely see that I could be a problem, specifically because I wasn't very malleable. And that, um, and you know, nothing's changed. (laughs) You know, I'm really still like, no, it's pretty much my way. And, um, but the great thing is now, uh, is now I'm starting to work with people and people are coming to me. They're going, oh, okay, well, we want to do it your way. We, we like this. You know, this is good. And then again, life's kicked me around. I'm smart enough to know when, okay, well, you are right and I can keep my mouth shut and I know what I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, so And you were always learning, right? That's a good trait to have. <laughs> um, so you get to LA. You decide you're going to go on a, a self-discovery journey of sorts yes. and, and write originals. You're Turning that 180, like you said, you go to LA for four weeks. What what brought you down there for that initial four weeks? You're just gonna scope out the landscape, sort of thing. Well, um, my I did have a sort of micro deal that of like a label, whatever that means now, because that's when everything was getting everybody was becoming independent, and basically the big labels were just debunking, and they just nothing was happening, right? So you know the the landscape of music was changing. Immediately, it wasn't a gradual thing. It just happened immediately, as far as I can tell. Um, so, uh, so there was a lot of these little labels or whatever that were, you know, popping up all over. And somebody had seen me doing a showcase at Music West in in uh, Vancouver and kept in touch. And so I went down there to kind of feel out to see whether, you know, that was going to be something. They got me in the studio. It was really cool. It was great. But I could tell already. Yeah, that's not it either. So either. So um, I just let that, you know, fall by the wayside. And I had connections down there. My father, my uh, biological father is a land, you know, is a permanent resident uh, in California. So I had, you know, kind of roots there. I was going to ask, like, because logistically speaking, it's all good and, and well that you want to go down there. But usually there's green cars and stuff involved. So you, are you a dual citizen? No. Um, that's a whole book, by the way. So um <laughs> you might need more than one interview. Um, but I already I already had a son by this point. So I'd been in the business for about eight years. And then I had a beautiful son, my son, Connor, Connor Whitney. That's a plug. Whitney K, by the way, who's playing Shut Pop Montreal. Con. Yeah, he's a stunning musician and, uh, you know, light years ahead of all of us and who's doing very well himself now. But, um, you know, he's we're at parallels in our lives, which is a really cool thing. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so Connor went up to hang out with his dad for, for the summer holidays. So it gave me an opportunity to go down there and just kind of trip around, like you said. So my dad was living there. So I just went and hung out with him. And um, kind of one thing leads to another. And uh, I decided not to come back to Canada. And um, I got offered a job, actually, in a production office, in media production, nice. behind the scenes. and. That's kind of excelled, so I started doing my um, paperwork. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to hang out here. And I needed to step away from music, if that makes sense, to 
reevaluate what I wanted out of it. You know, I still didn't play an instrument at that time. I still had to rely on other musicians. And I was kind of getting sick and tired of that. And I should have picked up guitar years ago, but I hadn't, you know. And so I was thinking, okay, well, how do I? So my son was small. Um, and I ended up getting into in production behind the scenes and, you know, kind of working the eight to six job. And I really loved it. I was just learning all these new skills. And because of my background of running bands and, you know, clubs and money and, you know, production just worked in my head, right? So if you give me a vision, I can see it. I know I just figure out how to bring the pieces together. That's the one thing about um, living down there is uh, people aren't afraid to um, tap into what your strengths are and help you nurture that. And so I just, again, you know, by the energy and the universe brought me to people that were going to help me do that. So I ended up getting a job and started doing my paperwork to be able to work there. Um, 9-11 hit, and that threw my status back a few years. But, you know, I, I worked stuff out. And so I ended up staying there almost nine years. And then my son came, and, you know, he grew up in, you know, in the valley. Nice. <laughs> so it was pretty awesome. And then that's, that's where I, you know, picked up a guitar, um, would sit in the bathroom when he went to bed where the acoustics were good. And, you know, just kind of get into it. And as soon as I could string a couple chords together, melodically, I was all over it. And next thing you know, I'm, uh, you know, playing three, four nights a week uh, or a month uh, all over L.A. That's amazing. Yeah. So how many years into L.A. when you started playing? Uh, I was probably there for already about two years. Yeah, all two right. and a half years, yeah. Um, I want to hear a lot more uh, about this. We're going to continue on with my guest, Jackie Brown. We're just going to take a short break um, for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with, like I said, more Jackie Brown. This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast, that's episode 104 with my guest, the lovely and talented Jackie Brown, is brought to you by Echo One Photography. GTA listeners, Greator, Torontor, Arior, this one's for you. If you're a musician, comedian, actor, business person, whoever, and you need some quality photography done, look no further. You need some headshots? Echo One will do that for you. If you own a business and looking to get some product photography done for e-commerce or advertising purposes, look no further. Echo One will do that to email Eugene, that's E-U-G-E-N-E at echo1photography.com to get a quote today and enter JDCH in the subject line to get special offers. Do it today. And we are back with the fabulous uh, Jackie Brown, Lemon Press Studios. All right, let's pick up where we left off. We're talking about L.A. You had a scene uh, or a job uh, in behind the scenes in music, which I think if you're going to have any job as an artist, may as well have it still in the same arena where you can kind of still feel like you have a foot in the business at least, you know? Could I make a quick correction? Of it course. Wa- it wasn't actually with music. It was in media and tele- oh, in media. In, in okay. television. Is that where you broke out into acting sort of thing? Uh, and got when, that? when I came back to Canada. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get into that. <laughs> All right, well, it's still show business. Right, you it know, is, At least exactly. it's not like you're uh, uh, at an accountant firm or something. At least you're in the realm of show business. You still feel like, you know, it's all kind of part part and parcel. And so then you, you finally uh, pick up a guitar and you start writing and then you start performing around L.A. And having spent some time away from it, 
it must have just been so invigorating to be back at it and realize because another thing I find that's happened for me if I've been away from stand-up even for just a few weeks you start getting in your own head like can I do this like am I what's how did I do this before am I even this person so there, there must have been this great satisfaction in, in not only are you doing it, but now you're doing your own songs and you're in L.A. of all places. So all those factors must have just boosted your confidence. Yes. And, and the um, well, because it's just like I was a new person, you know, I mean, I wasn't approaching and that was so new. I wasn't approaching it like I'd ever done it before. Right. So I was quite shy. Believe it or not, I'm kind of shy. And um, and I'm extroverted in certain aspects but I'm quite introverted as well so um and I'm also much better with people that I don't know mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I, I'm better in front of strangers than I am in front of people that I know oh, when it yeah, when it comes to performing oh my anyway. god yeah. yeah you know it's like don't sit in the front of the audience you know yeah, you'd think it'd be the opposite like if anyone's not, not a performer listening yeah. to this it's it's not like I just did a show Sunday night in this little town called Wakefield, Quebec, and I just so happen to know a lot of people there. And it's, yeah, you look out in the audience and it's all familiar faces and it just adds an element of like... I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm just uncomfortable (laughs) now. And it also kind of restricts your creativity in a way that... Well, I'm talking more, I guess, stand-up, because stand-up, you talk, you know, the more open and honest you can be, the better. Mm-hmm. But when there's some familiar faces in the audience, that can kind of hinder that just a little bit, and you start pulling back, which kind of defies the whole thing, right? Well, I agree with you a thousand percent, and I've tried to explain this to other, say, significant relationships that I've had before. It's like, I don't invite people I date to my shows, you know? And, I mean, that's not always the case, but for a reason, because it's just you know, there's just a, f- a freedom. And I'm quite verbal on the mic as well. Like I sing and I mean, I've had, I've walked, people walked in shows like, wow, you're like, about, like, are you like a comedian singer or a singer that makes jokes or what's the deal, right? And then when I get off on a rant, but I can't have that kind of verbal diarrhea for lack of a better term when I'm looking at people that you don't want to offend them or you just look at them and you just, you know, yeah, you tighten it, up. Yeah, you tighten up. And mm-hmm. for me, with music, um, specifically now, in cover material, it was different, right? But now it's, you know, it's your Well, yeah, you're your laying heart, it all right? out there. And it takes away the bloody mystery, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, we're mysterious people, and right. I like to keep that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like you said, especially original material, because you're just laying it all out there. And and it's you sometimes depending on the subject matter or the the content, it, you can be very vulnerable. And it again, familiar faces uh, just makes that so much harder. Yes, if it's strangers, who gives a shit, right? Yeah. Just yeah. just do your thing. So you spend about a decade in L.A. and what nine made, years? Nine, nine years. Nine years. Yeah, yeah round up. And um, what made you come back to Canada? It was time. It was time. It was time. My son was getting ready for his post secondary education and. Uh, Um, But I was feeling it, you know, and I'm kind of tend to be prophetic a little bit. And uh, I could just feel the atmosphere of the country and that part of the country specifically was feeling um, a shift and changing and there was a Mm -hmm. lot of tension going on. I could feel that, you know, and and it just felt like, yeah, I just woke up like 2008, I guess it was, and just thought, you know. I'm going back. And it felt like that's what I wanted to do. I was doing well at what I was doing, 
But I also knew that if I was going to move forward in music because I really wanted to get back into music full time again, I was missing it a lot. And not just, you know, getting my rocks off and, you know, I was really needing to do it where I could do it full time. And I didn't feel that I could actually do that there in the same way. Right. As I could maybe back in Canada and, you know, closer to family and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, the timing was right. It was just time. It was time to come home. It was time to come home. And did you come here to Toronto? No, I've never been to Toronto before until now. I uh, went back to Vancouver um, because that was, you know, I felt comfortable going back there. Um, and, uh, you know, I had friends there and Connor's born in Vancouver and it was closer to his dad and all those kinds of things. And that's where he was going to go to school. It just felt like, you know, obviously what was my other choice really, um, for familiarity and if certainly my family's in Calgary and whatnot, but I wasn't going to Calgary. I love Calgary, but I wasn't going there, um, because I wanted to make music and, um, and of course the climate, you know, it's changed like, you know, again, 180 there in Vancouver as well. So yeah, it's not such a dramatic, uh, uh, transition to go from LA to Vancouver. I mean, it is, but to go from Vancouver to Toronto, yeah, it, extra long winters. It wasn't even the winter so much when I meant climate, I just meant the climate of the arts, right? right? Okay. And music specifically, because I wasn't going back to what I'd left, right? When I left there, I had the pick of all the great gigs and good studio stuff and everything. So you know, I never picked up a phone to work the last, you know, seriously, 15 years of my career at that point, I had never picked up the phone. It was just, I picked it up to go, yes, no, no, yes, not to look for work, right? So I, I'm not very good at that. And that's the hard part about music and everything now is because I have to do all this self-promotion and thank God you asked me to come by. <laughs> um, and Facebook and all that stuff. And like, yuck I don't like to do that it's not my thing I don't like to beg people for stuff you know like either you show up or you don't show up right so um so the climate had changed in that respect and um so it was a bit of a transition but again I didn't want to go back doing what I'd left off doing which was I was at the top of my game at that there and I certainly wasn't going to go back to the same place so um I wanted to come back and you know, be an original artist and see, I just kind of creeped around town. I didn't even tell anybody I was there. When people got wind that I was there, it was like I'd never left, which was really cool. It's like, wow, I've been gone almost 10 years. We know we missed you. Wow. That was, that was a really good feeling. Mm -hmm. Really wonderful feeling. And then, so what made you move from Vancouver to Toronto? Well, I stuck around Vancouver for a while and, um, and that's where I met John Burton, my producer. And got to do a record. That's where you recorded uh, JB and JB. Yeah, Presents? we at Greenhouse Studios, which was originally all the Little Mountain uh, equipment. So fantastic, old school, real deal, wonderful engineer Chris Holmes, Hollywood Holmes. And um, yeah, so that was just you know just came together, and I got to get into a production studio with John, and we worked together for about eight months before we even did our first gig, and. So that really was just, uh, you know, that was again meant to happen. And, uh, but then we did the record and we finished that in July. And I said, I'm moving to Montreal. And he would, what do you mean? I said, I'm getting out of here. I got to go east. And I've been, fe I was feeling it, you know, I thought. And Connor was going to be in Montreal, my son. So I just thought, I'm going to go back and see, you know, and of course, 
probably go back. And I went back and it was cool. And I sort of tripped around Montreal for about 18 months and had a bit of a sabbatical, wrote some more, wrote the EP. John came down, worked with me on that a bit, went back to Vancouver and recorded that. And then I started coming to Toronto on the weekends. And I thought, wow, what an incredible city. And why haven't I been here decades ago? But I think we mentioned this earlier, timing is everything. It is everything, especially in this business. Mm -hmm. So I moved to here in, um, as of May, it was a year. And I, it just feels like the best thing that I could have ever done. I just, I just absolutely love the city in every which way and form. And I hope it loves me too, because I, I'm making roots here. I've got yeah, my, it's, you know, it's home. It feels, it feels like home. If I have to live in a city right now, because trust me, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing and I would be in the bush, right? I'd be back in the mountains. I'd be living, you know, in the interior somewhere of BC. I just really wouldn't be in the city at all. That's a fact. <laughs> I'm, I'm the exact same way. And it's like having, maybe you feel this way too, having, uh, you know, if you grew up with, and, and you were outside all the time, you said in nature, if you grew up with that, you have to reconnect to it once in a while. Because I, I mean, I know people in the city that could take or leave nature, they could care less. Uh, they grew up here, they're city people. But I love the city, but I do need to go back or I'll go insane. And if I wasn't in show business, I would definitely be in the, in the woods, yeah. in a cabin yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I often joke about like, I almost wish there would be like some sort of threat that would allow me to <laughs> quit, like justifiably quit everything and move into the woods. Like... Not a like not a, like an imminent threat where we'd all actually be in danger, but I, mean, I don't know, like some sort of war, or something broke out, and there'd be a threat. I could quit everything, go into the woods, and then it wouldn't be crazy. But if you do now, if you'd quit everything and just go, people would be like, "Oh man, did you hear Julian moved into the woods? I, I think he snapped." You know? Well, yeah, and I mean, I've been that close to going, you know, like I just I'm going, and uh, um, and I'm still pretty close on the edge all the time, mm -hmm. you know. So, but everything is. Again, the timing and back to the, I always felt as a mature woman and as artist that I would be, that would be my time. I mean, even with the acting, you know, who'd have thought? In fact, a lot of my people that know me through music have zero clue that I started acting. When did you start acting? Um, well, I started off just kind of doing background and continuity stuff. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm getting called out to do speaking parts or commercials. Did you start in Vancouver or here in Toronto? I started that in Vancouver. And then, um, but it's since I've been in Toronto. So like I've done, you know, some independent films, a couple TV shows. I'm auditioning like crazy, you know, little, little PSAs, that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's my second year here and things are excelling and I'm just, you know, I don't want to jinx anything, but like, okay. And, and it feels really great and really natural. And I'm, I'm all, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm really pumped about it. Yeah. I well, love it. I absolutely love, I love it. Toronto and Toronto loves you, Jackie Yay. Brown. <laughs> Would love it if you could play us a little something, something in studio, grab your guitar. And, uh, but before you do, let's plug a couple of things, upcoming shows. You also mentioned, uh, off mic that you're, you're, you're getting some quite a bit of airplay in London. Yes. Uh, there's a DJ by the name of Emilio Vaz. I believe he's playing me on CHRW 94.9 FM, and they're hosting a show that I'm part of this Saturday at the APK in London, which I'm super excited about. And he's also got another one, um, uh, Digital Revolution Radio, which is a global internet station, the Rock, uh, Emilio Vaz's Rock Den. He's got me on that show too, and 
for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks I've been getting airplay on that show. Well, that's so amazing. I love you, Amidio, so much. <laughs> and uh, where could we uh, catch Jackie Brown live? next upcoming shows anything like that you want to plug yeah i'm at the apk two nights actually i'm doing a show on acoustic show on uh thursday this thursday and then uh saturday most importantly saturday uh at the apk again i believe my set starts at nine o'clock that's saturday september 19th and this thursday september 17th and jackiebrownmusic.ca for all your jackie brown needs and uh Whenever you're ready. Cold-hearted morning, you got an orange tinted sky. I thought I'd see you Oh, in your pale green eyes Looks like you got, yeah, you got the upside I don't you know where to sit down You can take what you need Dog town Surf's up, I'm moving fast Did you think, oh, it'll ever last Spain's nice, don't you know it's nice This time of year Is what I hear I followed you Powdered oceans Not once did you see You never look back Oh yeah You never showed emotion Hookah shells in the snow Settle baby I never look back, I never turn around, I never say goodbye. Surf's up, I'm moving fast. Did you think, oh, you'd never last? Spain's nice, don't you know it's nice? This time of year. What I hear Surf's up, I'm moving fast Did you think, oh, it'll ever last Spain's nice, don't you know it's nice This time of year It's what I hear It's what I heard It's what I hear It's what I hear 
Yeah, Jackie Brown. Oh my God, that was amazing. Thank you. That was beautiful. I love that. I cannot thank you enough for coming in studio. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Love your story. We'll have you again in here uh, some some uh, time soon. It's been a pleasure meeting you and getting to know you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Julian. And I watch really your appreciate head. that. My I pleasure. <laughs> And there it is, another one in the books. Thanks to my guest, Jackie Brown, for the chat and the great performance in studio. Thanks to you for uh, listening, always you. I appreciate you. Uh, thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. And uh, what else? What else is in the news? Oh, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Facebook and Insta- or Twitter and Instagram, at JD Comedy Hour. Follow that shit. Go to Facebook and like the page, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. And once again, email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. And I will read your emails on the podcast. All right, that's it. I believe that's all. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you on Friday. And as always, watch your head. Wandering eyes and itching feet. I'm just a thin, nervous shadow walking backwards down a street. The landing's bitter, but the following is oh so sweet. It's just a waste of time, a beautiful waste of time. It's just a waste of time.
the first line I saw my name on a writing on the wall and I wondered would I fall I taught my heart in a garbage pail of life and I wondered but don't stop smiling at me Don't stop smiling I saw my love in a garbage pit of life And I wondered would I survive I gotta shake it off. <laughs>